We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. On today's Rotowire NBA podcast, we have a bit of a double dip. I sat down with James Anderson, the prospect guru himself, to talk about the NBA draft. That was our intention. Uh, with that said, we got to chatting about Monday's trades, CP to the Suns, Drew Holiday to the Bucks, Bogdan Bogdanovich to the Bucks, Robert Covington to the Blazers, Shooter to the Lakers. Uh, we covered all of our bases and we got a little bit carried away. By carried away, I mean we discussed trades for, I believe it was 56 minutes and at one point discussed whether the Atlanta Hawks might end up with James Harden. So yeah, that's kind of how things went. With this in mind, I think it would be best to split the podcast into two parts. So it won't be perfectly clean. Part one ends a little bit abruptly. Part two will begin a little bit abruptly. Uh, But if you're not interested in trade talk, proceed right ahead to episode two. That's where we talk NBA draft. Both pods should be in your regular Rotowire NBA podcast feed. All right. I think that just about covers it. We're coming up on 24 hours until the 2020 NBA draft. It has been a grind to say the least. 500 plus days between NBA drafts. That's by far a league record. Looking forward to talking with James about it. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Let's get to it. In the hands of Waiters, three seconds left for three in the win.
Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. Uh, James, I wouldn't call this an emergency edition of the podcast, uh, although a small part of me felt inclined to see if you were up at around 12.15 a.m. Central Time uh, on Tuesday when news of the Bucks series of transactions broke. Um, it was initially going to be an NBA draft preview podcast. That, of course, comes to us on Wednesday night, uh, the 2020 NBA draft, but I feel like it's been superseded by a few of the trades that we've already seen since the NBA's transaction window opened up at the start of the week. Uh, so I want to dive into a few of those trades, get your take on them, um, you know, how, how those how those trades change some of these teams, what it means for some of these players' fantasy values, uh, and then we'll finish up with some draft talk at the end, previewing Wednesday night. Uh, but let's go let's go in semi chronological order and start with Chris Paul to the Phoenix Suns. This was the first big one. I mean, we had Dennis Schroeder uh, going to the Lakers. Uh, that was reported Sunday, finalized Monday. But Chris Paul um, going to the Phoenix Suns from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, this was the one that that had Twitter buzzing most of the day on Monday. Uh, you know, I I like this trade for both teams. Overall, I think Phoenix doing this deal without having to give up the number 10 pick in this draft, without having to give up Cam Johnson, without having to give up McCall Bridges, I think that's a pretty big win. Um, but on the other side, you know, it, it's hard to look at this deal and, and look at some of the risk and some of the money involved with Chris Paul and, and say that it's not a good deal for OKC as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think OKC did really well uh, to make this trade when they did. I mean, you, you had, they, they kind of had to trade. I think they had to trade Chris Paul this yeah. off season because you just, you can't risk going into the season and then having his um, quad or his hamstring just be an issue all year. And then like, as soon as he's hurt again, then it starts looking like a terrible contract again. So I think trading him now, like it, it's hard to imagine this not being the high point of his uh, value on that contract. So I think they were, um wise to do that wise to to get positive value back i mean i'm sure they're gonna get other stuff for for the players they got back from from phoenix at some point so um i think it was a big win for them i mean it's it's a win for the suns um because they're they're the suns and they've been kind of pathetic for the past decade and this puts them into the playoff mix um i mean i don't think that they're gonna go to a conference finals or anything with this Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton trio. But I think not making a move like this probably eventually leads to Devin Booker requesting a trade um, down the road. I mean, that, that still could happen. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's someone that tries to get himself uh, shipped out of there before the end of his uh, contract. But you at least keep Devin Booker happy for the short term, which I think is a pretty good accomplishment. And you're probably in line to, to make the playoffs if Chris Paul can stay healthy this upcoming season, which is a big if, like I said, but um, at least on paper, they look like a playoff team now. They certainly look like a playoff team. I, I don't know that this necessarily puts them, you know, quote unquote, over the top. I mean, I, they're not going to contend for a finals berth. I, I don't think they're even in contention as of right now for a Western Conference Finals berth. Yeah. I mean, I think the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, um, and Denver for sure are, are right. ahead of them. I, I think Dallas as well. We'll see how long Porzingis is out to begin the year. But, I mean, their upside is significantly higher. 
I, I'm just with you when it comes to Chris Paul uh, and the injury history. I, I think it's a pretty big risk. And, and that's why I'm glad that they didn't have to give up Bridges, for example, because there's a scenario in which Chris Paul misses like 25 games this year. I mean, especially when you consider the condensed schedule, the amount of back to backs, um, you know, it's going to be an accelerated playoff schedule. Like he's kind of the number one guy outside of maybe Blake Griffin, who you would worry about uh, in a scenario like this. I mean, last year was such an anomaly for him. Like if you look at games missed from the, his final year with the Clippers and two years with the Rockets, I mean, he missed 21 games. He missed 24 games. He missed 24 games. And then last year he misses two games and both of those were rest related. So, you know, hopefully as an NBA fan, it, it keeps up. I think it'd be a lot of fun if, if he has another great season for the Suns, but it's a lot of risk for a guy who's going to be 36, uh, you know, by the time the playoffs roll around. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there was more pressure on the Thunder to move him than there was pressure on the Suns to trade trade for him. And I think that the market was so dry on other destinations for him because of that contract that that's why there weren't um, more significant assets that headed back to Oklahoma City because the Suns could kind of just say, well, Chris Paul wants to come here. Like no other team is really willing right. to take on that salary. Uh, so you kind of have to trade him to us and kind of take what we give you. Um, so I think that the Thunder were lucky to even get a first out of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be huge. I mean, I hope I hope Chris Paul stays healthy, but I think it's going to be huge for DeAndre Ayton uh, specifically. I think just having a, a point guard like that um, is really going to set him up and, and put him in a position to, to have a lot of success and, and maybe even um, help with his sort of development. I mean, I'm, I'm, Chris Paul is kind of a prickly character at times, but I think he is, is definitely a basketball uh, a brilliant basketball mind mm -hmm. and someone that could help those guys develop a little bit. And we'll see how, I mean, Devin Booker wanted to play with Chris Paul. They, they, I think they have the same agent. Uh, we'll see how long they like playing with each other. I mean, Chris Paul can often wear on guys and I think Chris Paul and Devin Booker seem like pretty different personalities to me, but uh, at least for now, I would, I would project them as maybe like the seven seed or something like that. Um, maybe you can, uh, depending on the matchup, maybe you can have a entertaining first round series, but I, I think just getting to the playoffs, mm -hmm. I think is kind of the end goal here for this Suns team. You know, I, I know there are family reasons and proximity to LA reasons that Chris Paul reportedly wanted to land in Phoenix, but it's a little bit interesting to me that he wouldn't have pushed harder for a destination like a Milwaukee, uh, like a Philly, you know, teams who are maybe on the periphery when it came to him, because like, he's, like we're saying now, like, the Suns, even after this trade, are still 40 to one to win the title. Like they're not, they're not winning the title next year. They're probably not going to win it in 2022 either. And you know, at that point, Chris Paul is going to be, you know, firmly in the twilight of his career. So, you know, I, I think he's not quite to the point where he's solely focused on chasing a ring because I, I don't think the Suns are the number one spot to do that. But for a guy who's never been past the conference finals, I, I thought it was a little bit interesting that he was willing to, I guess, quote unquote, settle for the Suns. I don't think he had a choice. Like, I think, I think, I think he would have definitely preferred to go to those other teams, but they weren't interested. Like you, if you're the Bucks, well, you Milwaukee can't. wasn't interested. Right. Um, I mean, the Sixers, I'm sure there are packages they would have happily done that the Thunder would not have done. Like the Thunder yeah. didn't want to take back uh, their terrible salary when they could take back Rubio and stuff. And, yeah. um, 
I mean, I just I think the writing was kind of on the wall to to CP3. Like, obviously, he would have loved to have played for the Lakers if that was even remotely possible. I don't think he settles for the Suns. Um, so, I mean, I think he just kind of saw his options and decided that the Suns were the most palatable of those those remaining options. So, like I said, it was reported and reiterated on Tuesday that the Bucks were never really in on Chris Paul. You know, cursory phone calls at best. Based on the moves that Milwaukee ultimately made, which we'll get to in a second, would it, do you, in your mind, would it have made more sense to throw a similar package, you know, to OKC or, or you know, maybe even reduce it, um, you know, based on Paul's age, to to obtain Chris Paul as like rather than Bogdanovich or Drew Holiday? Um, no, because you're just such. You're, I mean, you're already sort of seeing the Bucks. They're they're kind of limited now. I mean, it's going to be mostly minimum salary guys around this starting lineup. Um, if you go with Chris Paul instead of Drew and Bogdanovich, then you're just talking about Giannis, Middleton, Chris Paul, and like you're probably going to have to start a veteran, veteran minimum salary guy uh, in one of those spots. I mean, you just, you're so handicapped um, contractually there. And I, I think Chris Paul would have been a better fit just as a, from a basketball standpoint than Drew Holiday. But, like, you can't – like, I don't know if Giannis was going to be excited about playing with a, a guy that's as old as Chris Paul. Like, Giannis wants to look, like, two, three, four years down the road. Uh, you can't really do that with Chris Paul. Chris Paul is a win in 2021 and win in 2021 only type of right. uh, move there. So if you were Giannis, you might just say, all right, well, I'll play with him for one year and I'll get out of here. So um, the all of the Bucks moves have to be framed from how does this affect Giannis's desire to stay? Mm-hmm. And you can't just look at like, oh, like Drew, Drew uh, Holiday and Eric Bledsoe, like that's not much of an upgrade. Well, it's a huge upgrade if it gets Giannis to stay, right? And so I think that everything mm-hmm. was kind of framed from that from that prism. Yeah, I think there's a case to be made that just for next season, you know, maybe Chris Paul gives you a slightly higher season or ceiling, assuming that he stays healthy. But the health is a huge risk, like we said. And then beyond that, you know, you're setting yourself up to basically kick the can down the road and, and be in a similar roster construction uh, kind of dilemma in 2022 or 2023. Uh, what, what is your initial reaction to the acquisition of Holiday and then the subsequent acquisition of Bogdanovich? I, I think if you were on Twitter last night, it was all right, this is awesome. We got through holiday five minutes later. Oh my God, we gave up three first round picks and two pick swaps. And then kind of back to optimism when it was revealed that, you know, this was all kind of one big line of transactions that was going to lead to Bogdanovich as well. So in the end, it's three first round picks, two pick swaps, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, and a few role players. I mean, Eric Bledsoe and George Hill were, were productive guards for the Bucks, but I think both had, had kind of expired with this roster uh, and then DJ Wilson and, and Ursan are just salary throw-ins to Sacramento. So essentially, you know, you're giving up Bledsoe Hill, DiVincenzo, and then those five first-round picks for Bogdanovich, who you're going to sign to an extension, and then Drew Holiday, who, you know, you would hope to, if things go well, sign to an extension after this year. Yeah, I mean, it, there's obviously a lot to discuss. Um, again, like, the number one thing is just, does Giannis now stay? And if Giannis stays because of these moves, then they were no brainer. You do them all day, every day type of moves, right? Like that's the whole point. And uh, the draft picks, that's, that's 
a lot to pay. I mean, you're basically paying the the Paul George price for a player who's not as good as Paul George. Um, but the the Pelicans kind of had the Bucks over a barrel because they could have gone into the season. They had the leverage to say, hey, like, yes, your your offer is the best offer. Like, even if it was just two firsts and no swaps, that's probably the best offer that was out there. But the Pelicans could just threaten to say, hey, we're going to go into the season. We'll trade him at the trade deadline. And Giannis won't sign your Supermax because you aren't going to have Drew Holiday on the roster. And the Bucks needed to make this happen uh, before the start of the season in order to theoretically get Giannis to sign that max. And so the Pelicans could just keep holding out for as many draft picks as they wanted. And the Bucks really didn't have any uh, leverage to negotiate down from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, they were going to risk going into the year with basically the same roster. Um, so I think you have to just frame it from the honest standpoint. Yeah, Drew Holiday doesn't doesn't solve all their issues. He's not going to be a guy that can create his own shot against a, mm-hmm. a conference finals level defense. Uh, similarly to Eric Bledsoe, but he will hit open threes like Bledsoe was un- unable to. And he's uh, just as good of a defender. I think he's a, a really good personality. Like I think he meshes really well with Chris Middleton and Giannis from a personality standpoint. Bogdanovich, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I've I've loved Bogdanovich for a long time. I think I he's incredibly mm-hmm. underrated as a um, pick and roll ball handler, a guy that can get his own shot and and set his teammates up late in the clock. Like I know he's a he's a shooting guard, but he does have some. Like we've seen it in, in international play where he does sort of have some Luka Doncic, James Harden to his game where he can be an on the ball guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that part of the equation is huge for them because it does give them another option late in games um, when the offense kind of bogs down in the playoffs. And you could, I just, the one thing I'm wondering is, is coach bud finally going to be willing to employ a switching defensive scheme in the regular season to prepare for the inevitability of having mm-hmm. to go to that scheme in the postseason? Cause the personnel is there now. Like if you go holiday, Bogdanovich, Milton, Giannis, uh, one through four, and then Lopez, mm-hmm. I mean, you should be able to switch most actions other than the ones involving right. Lopez and they should practice that during the regular season and get ready for that, uh, for the postseason. Um, but having like Middleton and Bogdanovich as over 40% guys from three, uh, holiday as, as a guy that's, you know, 37, 38% from three, that uh, just gives Giannis a ton of space. Um, so I, I love it. I love the fit. I, I think they're going to have success in getting some ring chasing veterans to sign for the minimum or a little bit above that to kind of fill out the bench. Um, you know, it, it was a it was a lot to pay, and there's a good chance that you know one or multiple of those picks end up being kind of uh, regrettable uh, picks to have traded away, uh, especially since they're unprotected. But um, the the risk was if you didn't do anything, Giannis probably leaves. So you had to do something, and mm-hmm. you know even if Giannis is only there for you know another three, four, five years. I still think it's a it's a win because if Giannis leaves, you're going to be bad no matter what, no matter how many picks right. you have. Uh, the Bucks' history of drafting in the first round uh, has been really miserable, other than Giannis and Dante Divincenzo. So, um, 
I think they, they kind of had to do it. And I think mm-hmm. it, it was obviously a huge haul for the Pelicans. I wouldn't have wanted to sell low on DiVincenzo. I mean, he had an awful bubble, but I think he was awesome before the bubble. And I think the bubble just kind of affected guys differently. Um, so I definitely understand it from the Kings perspective uh, to kind of buy low on him. I mean, he is kind of similar to, to Bogdanovich. So you get him on a cheaper deal. Um, you get to maybe rehab, but he yields value a little bit. Um, I, I really think all three, all, all these trades really made a lot of sense for, for all three teams. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, I was surprised based on how DiVincenzo finished the year that, that he was enough to be the swing piece for Bogdanovich, but you have to consider, I mean, Bogdanovich has only been in the league three years, but he is already, you know, 28, he'll be 29, um, you know, at the end of this season. So, you know, you're not, you're not like trading a, a guy who, you know, is 24 for a guy who's 22, you know, it's, it's, he's, he's an advanced player. Um, and I think it was pretty clear that, you know, he probably didn't want to be in Sacramento anyway. So there maybe wasn't a ton of leverage there, but um, you know, all these moves together, I, I think are, I wouldn't say a home run just because of the amount of draft capital given up to New Orleans, but you know, you, ha- you can't operate as if you're, as if Giannis is going to leave or as if Giannis is going to, you know, tear his ACL and miss a season. Um, you ca- you kind of have to hope for the best with these scenarios. And I-, I think one thing that they didn't do is mortgage the future outside of draft picks because you acquired a guy, Drew Holiday, who, you know, you plan to be there you know, not just for this year, you know, it's three, four, five years, same with Bogdanovich, you know, you're signing him to what will presumably be a three or four year extension. So, you know, you're not only saying like, Hey, look, Giannis, we got these guys for this year. We're going to go all in and win it. And if we don't, we'll, you know, we'll regroup next summer and figure it out. It's, we got you like a brand new core essentially of guys that you can not only play with this year. And I think the pressure, you know, assuming that Giannis does sign, uh, whether it's the super max, whether it's a one plus one, it seems like it's trending in that direction the biggest thing that this does to me is it takes the extreme pressure off of next season that we've seen with LeBron and Cleveland that we saw with LeBron his last year in, in Miami that we saw with Durant in OKC where, you know, it's enough pressure alone just to win the finals in a normal NBA season. And then to have your best player have this added stress that, you know, every single loss, every single bad game, you're getting questions about it. Um, I, I think they've kind of, they put a nice core around him that is just going to diffuse a lot of that pressure. And, I think there's there's no way you can look at the Bucks now, even with some of the asset depletion, and say that you're not more confident about the future today than you were 12 hours ago. Right. I mean, they are a lot thinner than they were last year. So, you know, if they deal with injuries, that, that could sink them. Right. Um, but if they stay healthy, that starting five, it – there really aren't many weaknesses, right? Like, I mean, they can match up with pretty much anyone. And right. uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they fill out the bench. Because um, right now it's like Thanasis <laughs> as the sixth man. Um, so, you know, I, I yeah, hope well, that they're yeah. able to... I hope that they're <laughs> they'll able to they'll figure it out. Teams like this always figure it out. They'll get somebody. Yeah. Somebody, will come, yeah. somebody will come back. I mean, it's not off the table that Wes Matthews could maybe be more interested right. in re-signing now as, as like a sixth man. Uh, the injury thing is interesting that you mentioned, but I think the counterpoint to that is the Bucks have already tried the depth approach the last two years, and it worked really well in the regular season. It enabled them to play their best players 30 minutes a game. But when push came to shove in the regular season and teams are able to clamp down on Giannis a little bit more, they're able to contain Chris Middleton, you know, you're starting to rely on guys who just weren't good enough 
for that. And it's pretty hard to win a title when you have, you know, one very good, one great player, one very good player, and then everybody else is just pretty good. Um, in recent NBA history, you need more top end talent. And I think the Bucks recognize that. And even though it does put you at more risk, you know, if, if Bogdanovich misses a month or if Holiday misses two months, they're going to be in trouble. Um, I, I think it's a gamble that you just have to take at this point because the other approach, you know, it, it failed pretty miserably, especially this past year. Right. They, they did not have the, the choice of just not doing anything was just not something they could really do unless they were just cool with the honest leaving. Right. Like, I mean, the only way, if they had done nothing, they basically would have had to win the title with that core from last year to convince Giannis to stay. Um, and I mean, we just saw the team that won the title this past year, like KCP was like their third best player. So, uh, clearly top end talent is, is what you need. And yeah, for all the reasons we laid out, like, I mean, I think the Bogdanovich piece makes it so, makes it fit so well, right. If, if they had right. just done the Drew holiday trade, yeah. then I think the people that were saying like, did they actually even get better might've had a point. But now that yeah. you have that extra on-ball guy um, yeah. who can really stretch the floor, I mean, you can't – now you just – you can't do that pack the paint against Giannis thing um, with, against that starting lineup because yeah. you, you can't leave those guys um, in the corner or out on the wing, like, from, from three. Uh, so I just think it – if I'm the rest of the league, I am kind of worried about this now because now they look like a team that's built for the playoffs as well as the regular season – and also you have all these teams like the Raptors and the Heat and the Mavericks that were sort of circling that 2021 cap space, thinking that they could lure Giannis away. Now they have to quickly on the fly sort of change plans and start uh, figuring out alternatives because it does sort of seem like Giannis at the very least will be off the market for a couple more years. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month Rotowire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website, and once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Robert Covington moving from Houston to Portland in exchange for two protected first-round picks. Uh, well, actually, I think the first one wasn't protected. That's just the 16th pick uh, in tomorrow's draft. And then Trevor Ariza goes back to Houston as well. Uh, given everything else that's going on with the Rockets, this, this was just like a really weird wrench to throw in. And I, I think... On the surface, it seems like a deconstruction type of trade. You know, there's no world in which Trevor Ariza is a better player than Robert Covington. And I thought Covington actually fit in really well and was really productive with the Rockets uh, based on that scheme last year. So I, I like the acquisition for Portland. 
Uh, but in terms of the Rockets, I just I'm it's tough to read what this actually means, you know, as far as how it relates to Harden. I I think the they're tearing it all down. I mean, they they you know you have him basically saying he wants out. Uh, Westbrook wants out. When's the last like I I think uh, um, Kobe Bryant's basically like the last time a star player has wanted out and not gotten out. And yeah. um, that was over a decade ago. I, I'll i be very fascinated to see how the, the Harden, the Brooklyn talks go. But, um, I mean, I think it seems pretty clear that you're going to trade P.J. Tucker now. You're going to trade uh, Harden. You might not trade Westbrook because I think you have to attach draft picks to get off of him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you could just keep Westbrook. And, uh, I mean, he might be a malcontent but you can just say hey like nobody's willing to take you on without us trading assets yeah. to get off of your contract so well maybe um, i mean maybe that's where these two draft picks from portland come into play i don't think that's that insane i i mean if they want to if they're just saying if they're going to trade him no matter what then yeah those draft picks do help them get off of him but that's not like to me that's not how a trade demand works like you Teams don't trade guys because they ask out when they have to attach picks to get off of them, right? Like you, when a guy asks out. But in some ways, they they historically kind of have. I mean, when when when's the last time a player asked to leave and the team facilitated that move by attaching a bunch of picks to get off? Like it just doesn't happen. Like part of the reason it doesn't happen is special personality. Most players with bad contracts don't ask to leave because they know that that's uh, a laughing uh, request or hilarious request. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, back to the Portland side of this, though, I, I'm excited because I think if they hadn't really done anything, then they're just kind of like maybe they get the eight seed. Um, but now, you know, I mean, I think there's talk that maybe they'll go after Paul Millsap um, to play the four. And if you if you go into the year with uh, Nurkic, Millsap, Covington as your defensive oriented front court, that's that's pretty intriguing with that backcourt. I mean, just Mello. McCollum and McCollum and Lillard just with three scrubs is a pretty good offense. So right. you just put those two guys um, and then have the, the defensive minded bigs. I mean, I think it's that uh, they're all of a sudden a team that, you know, you don't want to face them if you're in like the four five matchup or even like the six three matchup, because we've seen what Damian Lillard can do in the playoffs. So uh, I think it's it's exciting. It's fun when this Blazers team is a little um, interesting rather than just like, oh, yeah, like Dame Lillard's awesome, but they're going to get bounced in the first round. Which team do you like more heading into next year between Phoenix and Portland? You know, like Lillard's better than Paul, Booker's better than McCollum, and the rest of the supporting cast. I mean, Phoenix is maybe a little bit deeper, but in in terms of guys that you like, I, I think they're pretty comparable. Uh, well, kind of want to see what other moves they have in store because I feel like they're both kind of eighty percent done with their off season, but not all the way done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm leaning towards the Blazers because they are battle tested. They have played in a ton of big games. Um, I think their defensive identity 
is with with Nurkic and kind of that pack line uh, defense. Mm-hmm. I think that they they make more sense to me defensively. Terry Stotts is is a, a proven a good coach. So, um, I mean, who would you who do you like more out of Booker and Lillard? I mean, obviously Lillard over CP and and Booker over McCollum. But what about Lillard versus Booker? I think it's still Lillard for me. I mean, we yeah. we saw kind of we saw an advanced version of Booker at the end of the bubble that I would like to see for a full season. And I, I think adjusting to playing with Chris Paul maybe throws that off a little bit. But um, I don't know. To me, Lillard's just a little more proven. I mean, he's for better or for worse, he has taken a team to the Western Conference Finals before. Uh, you know, maybe not your typical team that would find itself in that position. But uh, Devin Booker is younger, but he, I mean, he hasn't even taken a team to the playoffs at this point. Right. So. A lot of that's not necessarily a knock on him personally, but I, I think for me, it's pretty clearly Lillard. Uh, although I would expect Booker to maybe eclipse him within the next two or three years. Uh, I want to talk about Dennis Schroeder real quickly before we get to James Harden. Um, this seemed like a great move at the time for the Lakers. It still is. Uh, but in the shadow of, of some of these other bigger moves, it, it seems just like kind of blah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the Lakers are the defending champs. They're not under nearly as much pressure as some of these other teams are to improve rapidly and, and have the type of results next year. Uh, it's, I think it's pretty clear that the Lakers are going to treat most of next season as a, you know, glorified run up to the playoffs and they, they feel pretty confident about where they are. I'm thrilled that Danny green is no longer on this roster. I think getting rid of him is huge. Uh, they do give up the 28th pick, uh, which, you know, for, for a team or a LeBron team that typically doesn't even care about draft picks, that's not a huge deal. Uh, either way, I, I think it's it's hard not to see this as at least a minor upgrade for the Lakers, who, especially if they lose Rondo, are, are going to be pretty starved for guard depth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're you're buying high on Schroeder and you're selling low on right. Danny Green. So from that from that aspect, I think you know, again, Sam Presti just keeps kind of winning. I mean, I, I'm sure he's going to flip Danny Green for something as well. Um, but I, I think the shooter fit with the Lakers just from that angle is excellent because, um, you know, LeBron James is not going to want to carry the offensive load um, for this entire season. Like last year, basically, it was is LeBron James on the floor, then the offense is good. If LeBron James is off the floor, then the offense is terrible. And now. Like shooter's not amazing, but it, he at least can can run a, a decent offense, especially if he's out there with AD. Uh, he's a mm. he's a really solid pick and roll player. Um, you know he can hit he can hit threes. Uh, so I, I like the fit a lot. I don't think I don't think running it back with Rondo would have been the smart move. I think kind of you let you let like if the Clippers want to pay Rondo based on the playoffs last year, then I think you just let him. Um, yeah. So I, I think it, it definitely made sense um, from a personnel standpoint for the Lakers, and it made sense from an asset standpoint for the Thunder. You know, I would have liked to see the Lakers chase Covington. You know, I mean, can you do that same deal for Covington? You know, maybe you have to throw in Kuzma or something along those lines. I mean, I, I think he would have been a great fit, although you could argue that point guard is a bigger need. I think they probably would argue that. Um, you know, you just – you need that second ball handler next to LeBron. And I don't think Caruso is quite up to that. And um, Covington, I, I don't know. I, he would have been a good fit, but I think um, 
I think it they needed to kind of address that that secondary ball handler spot, and then they'll yeah. get some some veteran guys to to play on the wing. Um, not not as good as Covington, but Covington I think is sort of overrated and underrated at the same time. Like he's uh, a good uh, three point shooter for his position, and he's he's really long and stuff. But he's not this sort of like on ball defensive stopper that I think people make him out to be. And in fact, at times you would see um, teams playing the Rockets would go at him one on one. Like he he's a good help defender, but I mean he's not some stopper out there on the wing. And yeah. so I think that 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 makes him sort of more uh, replaceable just from the Lakers standpoint. All right, let's finish up with James Harden. I feel like people are already talking about this like it's a done deal with Harden to Brooklyn. Uh, I, I I don't think that's it's that much of a lock. The the Rockets are under no obligation to trade James Harden. I mean, everything that's come out publicly is that they're working to repair that relationship. They want to they want to run it back. That's the term that's been used most with Harden, which is kind of why I thought the the Covington thing is so strange. I mean, that completely goes against <clears throat> the notion that you're trying to put the best team around James Harden for next year. Uh, and it leads me to believe that, you know, maybe they're resigned to the fact that it, that relationship could be irreparable. But I want to open with this. If you're the Brooklyn Nets and you have a real chance to acquire James Harden, but let's say you put all the, the necessary chips on the table, Dinwiddie, Levert, Allen, Picks, whatever it might be. Is it is it a no-brainer to you that if you can get James Harden and you don't have to give up Durant and Kyrie, you just do it because he's James Harden? Um, no, uh, because you <laughs> like the 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 potential that the whole situation kind of just explodes uh, from a personality standpoint is one reason. Um, I don't think you want to be the team that gives James Harden his next like four or five year max contract. And I think if you trade for him, that probably ends up happening. And like, if things go well, then you end up paying him. If things go poorly, then things went poorly. So yeah, like either of those outcomes is an ideal. Um, you have the Bradley Beal thing sort of hanging there. And I fully believe the Wizards when they say they don't like, I don't think the Wizards want to ever trade Bradley Beal. So I think it's going to have to get to a point where Bradley Beal asks out. And I don't know if he's going to do that or when he's going to do that. You don't know if you're the Nets, if that's something that's going to happen. It's something that could happen, but Mm. it's not necessarily going to happen. And you're not necessarily going to have the best package. Even if you hold on to Levert and Dinwiddie, Right. Like some other team could come in with um, an even better young player, like a, a Michael Porter level player or something, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, first of all, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have taken in Kyrie Irving um, just to get Kevin Durant in the first place if it had been me. So I think just the fact that they did that tells me that they will do this. Like if you're willing to kind of bring in Kyrie Irving, then you're willing to bring in James Harden. Yeah. And, and you're willing to bring in DeAndre Jordan. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so I think it'll be fascinating to watch. Uh, I kind of think it's inevitable. And I kind of think the Nets, I think the Nets are in the position of power here. And if I were them, I would just be like, here's the best offer we're willing to do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to do it, fine. But we can pretty much promise you James Harden's going to be uh, a malcontent and you're going to end up trading to him to us anyways. And it's going to get ugly before 
uh, before you do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't want to do the deal now, fine, but here's the deal. And whenever you're ready to do it, uh, you can have it. Right. I, I think there's a scenario in which this goes down the Anthony Davis path. Uh, I, I don't know if Harden would go as far as to sit out games like Davis was, uh, but I, I could certainly see it getting, you know, getting to that point at which, you know, maybe, you know, with the Pelicans, it was always, we're not trading him to the Lakers. We're not giving him what he wants. We're not giving him what he wants. Well, where do they end up with the Lakers? Like eventually it just, it wears on you. I think as an organization, as an ownership, you know, you have a, a, a new regime in there, both that head coach and GM. Uh, I, I don't think that's how they want to begin their tenure. So if Harden's willing to wait it out, I, I could see it going down that path. I mean, that, part of me wants to see the Nets play without Harden first. You know, like maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they're just not that good. Maybe they they feel like they need one more guy. You know, Levert, you know, can't fit with Kyrie and Durant, whatever. And you make the trade at the deadline. Obviously, you risk another trade happening. You know, Harden going somewhere else in the meantime. But I feel like they're in such a good position now with two great players at the top, and then a rarity where you know most of these teams that bring together two good players, you have to clear out your roster. To make room, you know, they have a, a productive center in Allen. You have a, a serviceable veteran, I guess, in DeAndre, who probably ends up starting. You have Levert. You could bring back Joe Harris. Like, I mean, Durant, Kyrie, plus that roster is still top two or three in the East. So to me, you're you're risking a pretty good thing to become, you know, a slight step better. But you know, like you said, there's there's a, already a chance that Kyrie and Durant alone is kind of a problematic pairing. And then you're bringing in, I, I think, probably the toughest superstar right now other than what Russell Westbrook to, to fit around other superstars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, like, if you bring Harden in, he's your primary ball handler. And how long would it take for that to be the case before Kyrie is just really unhappy? <laughs> like right. if Kyrie is basically just playing off the ball uh, whenever their starting lineups out there, He's not, he's not going to like that at all. He'd be the third option, you know, and he he's not going to ever think of himself as a third option type of guy. Mm-hmm. I think KD would love it. KD would love playing with Harden. And I think even if you, if there was a way of just having it be those two. Um, well, that was going to be my next question. What, <laughs> I mean, if you're the Nets, can you just say like, look, this is a business, Kyrie. We're, we're sending you and Karis to Houston and we're bringing back James Harden. Like that's, that's the ideal scenario, right? But I, I don't think from like a, a personality slash potential karma standpoint, they want to go down that path. But that's that's what they should do in a vacuum. Right. Well, and let's just say it's, let's say it's Kyrie, James Harden, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Jordan. Like that might be the worst defense in the league. Um, yes. So, exactly. so uh, it might be the best offense in the league, but it might be the worst defense in the league. So I think it'd, it'd just be really fun to, to see that team sink mm-hmm. or swim because they would definitely sink or swim. It wouldn't be a um, middle, like they, they wouldn't win like 58 games and like lose close in the Eastern Conference Finals or something. I think they would either be amazing or somebody would want out within the first like two right. months. So I think it'd be fun to watch. Um I mean, do you see a, I know he's saying like, trade me to Brooklyn. That's all I want to do. Just trade me to Brooklyn. Um, Is there like, could Miami get involved? Could Toronto get involved? Like now that Giannis is theoretically off the table for those teams. Like, I, I I don't think Harden would 
mesh with what the Heat have going, and I don't even know if he would mesh with what the Raptors have going, but he still is like clearly a top seven or eight player in the world. Um, do you think it's just Brooklyn or nothing at this point? Well, it sounds like for Harden it is. And you know, one more note on Brooklyn: uh, Anthony Puccio, who uh, covers the Nets, I, I couldn't find the actual poll, but I, I voted in a poll that he either posted or retweeted or something this morning. That and he has his, his finger on the pulse of like Nets fans better than anybody. And it was just straight up, do you want James Harden on the Nets? And it was 55% yes, 45% no, which is absolutely insane for a player as good as James Harden, right? And I, I think that says a lot about the perception of his style of play. And it, it ties into what you're saying with teams like Toronto and, and Miami. Like nobody has these questions about like, if you can get LeBron James, should you? If you can get, <laughs> if you can get Giannis or get Durant or get Kawhi, I don't know, should you do it? Like, it's just crazy that that's even a question for how good and how productive James Harden has been. But I, I think that's a question that those teams would have to ask in terms of what they could put together. I, I do think what the Nets could offer is probably better, certainly better than what Toronto could put on the table. Uh, you know, especially if you're including Siakam, it's like, what are you bringing Harden into in the first place? You know, not, not a great situation. I, I think you're creating a team that's like as good as the Rockets at best. Miami has the hero piece. You know, I, I don't think they include Bam. I don't think no. you include Jimmy, but if you're willing to throw in Tyler Hero as the swing piece, you know, it, it then becomes a question of how much do you value, value Hero versus Karis LeVert versus Jared Allen, uh, some of those other, you know, Nets pieces that could be thrown in. The thing with, with Brooklyn is they can at least offer, they can offer you something of a core if you're Houston. You know, it's like, all right, we'll give you these three or four guys who are all pretty good. You can, you know, you can work them out for a year, keep the ones you like, trade the ones you don't. And with Miami, it's like outside of Hero, if Bam's not on the table, what else of appeal are you sending? Because Hero, Hero's a really nice young player, but he's not, you know, he's not Jason Tatum or something like that. You know, I, I don't know what the second piece is for Miami. Maybe it's picks, but I'm not sure if that's enough to get it done either. Yeah, I think, I think Hero is the best young player who has not signed his second contract who they could I don't know. I mean, like, so if you trade for Levert or really any of those Nets guys, or even if you trade for like Ben Simmons, um, there's already kind of like a, a ticking clock on that young core. But if you trade for Hero, I mean, you probably have him for the next uh, like five or six years. Uh -huh. um, so I think that's an appealing aspect of getting Hero. But I think you're right. Like, I think... Uh, I mean, we saw that Nets team before they got KD and Kyrie uh, looked like a pretty promising young core. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, that kind of got sidetracked. Uh -huh. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that if I were the Nets, I would offer those three guys. And I wouldn't even I mean, I'm, I might offer like this year's pick or something, but I would try to hold out and not include some unprotected like 2024, 20, 2025, like first rounders mm -hmm. because it's just like, well, show me what offer we're beating here. Um, right. You're, you have to trade Harden before the end of his contract. And we're offering you these three right. good young players. Uh, if there's a better offer out there, let us know, but we're not going to start just piling on these picks. Exactly. Like they're the ones with the leverage, whereas like like the Pelicans were the ones with the leverage in the Bucks trade. Uh, I think the the Nets are the ones with the leverage in, in this situation. Unfamiliar territory.
for the Nets to have leverage yeah. in a negotiation. <laughs> I think they're panicking. I'll, let me throw out a couple more. Now you now you have the, the wheels spinning. So first, could Milwaukee have offered DiVincenzo, Bledsoe, Hill, three first rounders and two swaps for James Harden? Does that move it for you if you're Houston? I don't know I if mean, that's better than the Nets package. I, I don't know if it is. Like, we would have discussions about it, but I just, I think that that's an unrealistic, like Giannis and Harden, like that's just not, I just don't see that as a realistic uh, mm-hmm. pairing from a personality standpoint. Okay, next one. Something built around Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker. Right, I mean, I think I would, would it be Kemba or would it be Marcus Smart? It could be Marcus Smart. I mean, I, I think I, I think I'm just looking at Kemba as like a bad fit around Harden. I think you're you're like you're okay parting with Kemba in that situation. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it could be Marcus Smart. If, if Smart gets it done, sure. But if if Houston asks for Walker, do you do that? I'm I'm not sure that Kemba Walker is not a negative value contract. So um, if I can get Jalen Brown, I'm pursuing that package because I think Jalen Brown can be an all-star for a long time and maybe even like a second, third team all NBA type of guy. Um, like he could be the second best player on a really good team. And like, I don't think, I don't think Levert could be the second best player on a really good team. Um, so I would pursue a Jalen Brown package if at all possible, like just, just him and then matching salary to me is is pretty intriguing if I'm if I'm the Rockets. Okay, Jamal Murray. Uh, I'm not going to include Michael Porter. Jamal Murray, you know, several probably two first round picks we'll say, and you know, take your pick of Bull Bull, PJ Dozier, Monte Morris, you know, that that crew. Um, that's one where I just. I'm I'm interested if I'm the Rockets, but I just I don't see the Nuggets being interested in that. Like I, I don't Which think it's crazy, right? It's James Harden. I think the do Jamal Murray for James Harden just straight up. I think they I think there's a chance, yeah. I, I think with what the way that they built that team, I, I think there's a case to be made that Jamal Murray, despite being, I don't know, twenty, thirty slots lower than James Harden, if you rank every player in the league, is is a better fit for them. Which again mm-hmm. goes back to the argument of like I don't it's not even necessarily who like what's the best package for Houston. It's like some of these teams might not even be willing to offer their best like, package for James Harden. Which the amount of the amount of good teams that would be interested in bringing James Harden onto their roster. Yes, exactly. It's not it's not a long list, right? <laughs> There's just because yeah. he needs he needs the ball, and if you're a good team, you probably already have a guy that needs the ball who you like more, who you've had longer, and you've had success with. And, you well, know, and like he he just, needs the ball in a different way than LeBron needs the ball or Kawhi. Right. Needs right. right. So All it's right. just yeah, I mean you you just it might be basically the Nets are the only team interested. So yeah, um, yeah. it might end up being yeah. a perfect marriage. Um, is Steve Nash? 
having buyer's remorse on taking that job already? <laughs> uh, I think he had buyer's remorse like day two when Kyrie Irving said, actually, we don't have a coach. Like the, the guy that we just introduced <laughs> as our coach two days ago is not in fact the coach. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, this just has, this is like a mix of all like the bad super teams that we've seen come right. together so far. Like it has, it has some mid 2010s Nets vibes. It has some 08 Celtics vibes, a little bit of Warriors vibes. Like they're, they're just, they're trying to stack it so much like in the coaching staff and the roster and everything about it, that it has like a little bit of a too good to be true feel to it. And I hope, I hope it works out. I want, I want good things for Durant, especially, but I don't know. You know, in those, um, like back in the day, like there were some playoff situations where Kobe and like LeBron were just kind of fed up with the way their teammates were playing. So they'd sort of hang out by half court, like, and Harden, Harden would do this all the time in Houston where he just kind of like, I'm not going to part- partake in this possession because I'm pissed at you guys. I could see oh. a scenario in Brooklyn where two guys are doing that on like opposite sides of the court, like Kyrie and James Harden are just like sitting at half court because they're fed up yeah. with the way the offense is going. And then that's are playing three on five. Like this, right. this has just all kinds of blow up potential and I can't wait. All right. Let me, let me just throw three more quick ones at you and then we'll finally get to the draft. So we've been talking about Bradley Beal, and mostly in the context of Brooklyn potentially waiting that situation out. I, again, I don't think the Wizards are going to go out of their way. Like literally five minutes ago, I just got an alert from a, a Tim Bontemps tweet that said Tommy Shepard said they, they are unequivocally not trading Bradley Beal. So I don't think this is on the table. But if James Harden's available, do you dangle Bradley Beal as the main piece in that deal? Like would you do Beal possibly straight up for Harden? Beal plus Troy Brown, no. Isak Bonga, whoever it is? I think every team in the league would take Beal over Harden. Mm, I don't know. I don't know about not. I don't know about every team. Which team wouldn't? I think all the bad teams would rather have Harden because he's such a floor raiser. But I mean, Beal's six years six years younger. He's not six years younger, is he? I mean, what what is Harden? Thirty one. Um. Beal is 27 and a half. Oh, I, like I a, thought Beal was like a four-year difference. Yeah. yeah. Still, I mean, you, you have Beal. Beal's probably got like three more prime years left. Three or four more. Harden might have zero more. Like, I, I don't know. I You compare, like from everything I've heard, like Beal is just like a, a great guy. Like the Wizards, part of the reason they love him is because like he's been so, like just such a good, you know, uh, logo of the franchise, basically like in the community mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And like it, it's just, I okay. I think the Wizards right. would rather have Beal. Um, I think the Nets would rather have Beal. Like I I think if you're the Rockets at this point, you'd rather have Beal because your star is asking out. Yep. So. There might be, yeah, there might be some bad teams that would just be like, hey, Harden's going to get us to the eight seed and he might sell some more tickets whenever fans are allowed back in the stadium. But I just, I don't, I don't see that. Okay. Now we're going to get to the fun ones, the bad teams. The Chicago Bulls, Zach Levine, Kobe White, and the number four pick in tomorrow's draft. Um, so we're, are we that to like the Nets offer? A theoretical yeah, sure. method. I mean, it's just or... you're you're evaluating it from either side. Um, I'm not really that interested in that if I'm Houston. Uh, okay. I would definitely do that if I was Chicago, because yes. you know you don't know where that would go. But 
like the Bulls aren't anywhere close to having something that resembles like a, a fully functioning offense or anything. So it's it's not like Harden's coming in and disrupting all this chemistry that Kobe White and Zach Levine have going or or Laurie Markkinen and Wendell Carter have going. Like they need someone to kind of bring things together. Um, so I think I think the Bulls would happily sign up for two or three years of Harden and just sort of see where it takes them in, in the East. But um, I just I got to imagine that the, the Nets package is is quite a bit better than than what the Bulls would be able to offer. Okay, this is where it gets a little wild. We know Atlanta wants to contend. <laughs> is there any world? Is there any world that in which they would try to flip Trey Young for James Harden? Mm. There's some salary constraints that would need to be taken into account. I'm, I'm pretending that those don't exist right now. But if you could turn Trey Young into James Harden, is it is it worth giving up on the future of Trey Young for the present of James Harden? Huh. Um, I think so. Uh, I don't think they would do it just because they already basically traded Luca for Trey Young and like right. it's kind of like you're you're so invested in Trey Young being as good as possible, but um I think they should they should do that probably. Uh now James Harden getting to live in Atlanta, uh you know that that could be a match made in heaven off the court. Yeah. But um <laughs> yeah, I mean I that's a fun one because I don't think I mean, they just they don't have enough shooting really around him there. Um, I mean, if you're starting Collins and Capella, right. like you're already kind of you can't really run the James Harden offense there. But yeah. you're in that situation already with Trey Young, um, and mm-hmm. Harden's better than Trey Young. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably do that. Okay, I got two more quick ones. We don't have to go deep on these. The Pelicans, they have all those trade assets from the Anthony Davis deal. They got even more from the Holiday deal. Brandon Ingram and, you know, maybe throw in Lonzo Ball and, and one or two of those future picks. Yeah, that's so like Brandon Ingram's in the exact sort of range of young uh, all star that you would part with to get Harden in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. The problem is, you know, you're on the one hand, Harden's like an OK fit with Zion because I think. Zion probably is going to have a early peak and like a yes. a steep decline. Um, like Griffin. Right. And so you are kind of in win, win now mode with Zion, like not necessarily 2021, but like. No, you are. That's fair. That's fair. 2023, like you, you need to try to be winning playoff series uh, sooner than later. But on the other hand, there hasn't been a single star player yet that has liked playing with James Harden. And if Zion doesn't like playing with James Harden, then Zion is going to force his way out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, you, you can't really piss off Zion if you're the, the, the uh, Pelicans. So you'd have to probably ask him what he thought about that. But um, I think it's, it's definitely an interesting one. And I mean, they have like JJ Redick, they have, George Hill, so they, they they would be able to space it uh, fairly well. Um, so I would I would approach Zion and I'd be like, hey, like we have a chance to turn Brandon Ingram into James Harden. What do you think about that? And if he's interested, then I'd go for it. If if not, then I would just shut it down. 
I, I do think with that one too, based on uh, the, the Ingram, I don't know if it's from the trade from last year or the extension that he's going to sign. I think that w- that trade would have to happen later in the season. It, it wouldn't be eligible to, to take place right, right now. Uh, but again, probably not a bridge we're going to have to cross. We'll finish out with Minnesota. D'Angelo Russell, the number one pick tomorrow, and let's say Malik Beasley. Uh, yeah, I'd do that. I'd do that in a heartbeat if I'm Minnesota. Um, for Houston, for you personally, I'll even throw in Jake Lehman. Does that sweeten it? <laughs> you need Lehman there when Harden gets there to spread that floor. Um, I mean, Towns and Harden together, that I, mean, that I would love to watch. Uh, man, that would be – that could be just such an incredible offensive duo. Yeah, man, I – I wonder if I mean would they if you just if they did that trade and you're basically just left with Harden and Towns and just you know whatever like are they a playoff team to you? Yeah, this is another one where I look at the rest of the West and say I don't know, but yeah, yes yeah, so they are because I, I think Harden's that good and I think they're not the five seed, but they're probably the seven or the eight seed. Yeah, and the best teammate Towns has ever played with is Jimmy Butler. And when that core was healthy, they were on like a playoff mm-hmm. trajectory. And Harden's a better regular season player than Jimmy Butler is. Um, again, like that defense would be a disaster, but you're talking about maybe two of the five best offensive players in the league playing together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that'd be really fun to watch. That's it for part one of today's episode for NBA Draft Talk. Please proceed to episode two, which you should be able to find again in the regular Rotowire NBA podcast feed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.